BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'll burn out. Hi guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. Happy Monday. I'm glad that you guys are back. This is our solo meets book club. One part solo episode, one part book club episode of the month. I'm so excited. We actually have Maddie on from OKSIS for the book club portion. I love Maddie. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Also one of my favorite podcasters. I listen to OKSIS every week and I love Scout and Maddie. Maddie is just literally, they're just the greatest people, but Maddie is coming on. We decided that we're going to read the comeback this month and then we're doing the recap in this episode. So if you guys have not joined the book club that we have, the I Love You So Much podcast book club, you need to. It's very simple. All you have to do is read the book and listen to the podcast and voila, you're a part. Um, also, people talk about it in the Facebook group. Also, if you guys like aren't into reading the podcast, it's like still an interesting listen because I'm getting great guests on. Like Maddie is so funny. So even if you don't read the book, I would definitely recommend listening to the podcast because because one, like don't you just feel smarter when you listen to a book club podcast? Like I don't care if you actually read the book or not. Don't you just feel smarter? Or maybe not because you're listening to me and I talk like a valley girl. But um, and two, Maddie is so funny that she could talk about anything and I promise you'd be entertained. So definitely stay tuned until the very end of this episode because I promise you it will be so fun. The book for October will be announced on our Instagram. So guys, be sure you're going to follow the Instagram. It's just ILYSM podcast. And then also our Facebook group. Be sure you join there. People are making friends left and right. It's like TikTok, guys. Okay, you know, we're going to circle back really quickly to my TikTok fame. If you listened to the last episode with Dom, it's really just taken off. I don't I don't really know. I don't really know how this happened. Actually, Maddie recently has come into quite a bit of TikTok fame as well, which maybe we'll talk about briefly on the episode. But Yeah, it's just really been something. And the thing I love the most about TikTok is that when a TikTok goes viral and it's, let's say it's like a Dallas TikTok, there's so many people who are like, hey, I just moved here. Hey, let's hang out, whatever. And people make friends in the comments of TikTok all the time. It's like Bumble BFF, but on TikTok. And that's how I feel about the Facebook group. You guys just make friends all the time. And I just think it's the cutest thing ever. As always, we do have our newsletter. If you're not signed up for that, you're really missing out. I link everything that I love. I give good quotes. It's just a good little late midweek pick-me-up, if you will. So I would definitely join the mailing list. Everything is in the description below. But anyways, for part one of this episode, we are going to talk about my current faves and a little bit of a wellness update. I feel like these kind of go together. They're merging together. So I have a few things I wanted to talk about 
you guys really requested this, which, you know, amazing because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. But I really just want the first thing I have to say, guys, it actually feels like fall. I want to give you a little a little visual as to where I'm at currently in this moment. It is a gloomy, rainy morning. I'm actually recording in my living room, which I never do. I always record in my office, but I made these beautiful fall arrangements. I got all these flowers from Trader Joe's. I came home and, you know, I thought I was Martha Stewart. Does Martha Stewart even make arrangements? I don't know. I just feel like anytime I'm saying something that like was remotely, you know, my breadwinning housewife thing, um, I just have to compare myself to Martha Stewart. But like, I don't know. We're just going to say that she does. Okay. Anyways, long story short, I made these beautiful fall arrangements for my house. And you have to understand that I'm actually really not the most crafty person like by anyone's standards. And these arrangements are beautiful. You guys can go look on my Instagram, but photos just truly don't do it justice. So anyways, I'm feeling very proud of those and they look beautiful and they are the perfect like fall accessory, if you will. Flower arrangements are not an accessory, but the perfect fall decor. Okay. I also have some fall candles burning, which has really just put me in the absolute best mood. I have so many blankets right now just on the couch. I just, oh guys, I'm really thriving this fall season. Today as I'm recording is actually, I believe the first day of fall, but it's been fall in my head for a while. And now it's just gloomy and rainy and it's not 90 degrees. And I'm just truly so much happier. Like I cannot express that enough. I actually made a stew last night. Okay. Here's the thing. I feel so pretentious saying I made a stew, like stews and soups are pretty much the same thing. Let's just stop acting like they aren't, you know? But anyways, I have just been cooking again, again, back on my breadwinning housewife vibe. That has really been my mood of 2020. I am, in fact, working on things to come out with breadwinning housewife, guys. So stay tuned because this is very exciting. This is what you get as a podcast listener. I tell you guys way more. But yeah, I'm just feeling good. Fall flowers, fall candles, soups, stews, just everything. I'm working on some fall updates on the rooftop as well. I ordered a little fire pit and some chairs to go around so we can get even like cozier up on the rooftop. I can drink some hot chocolate. Maybe I I actually have not been drinking coffee as much lately, which we will get into. But any warm drink, you know, I'm always down for. I can even read up there like There's just so many things that I feel now so liberated and free to do because I am able to go outside and I am able to actually use both my den and my rooftop because it really doesn't matter how insulated my door and my den can be. Like when it is 100 degrees out, it still is going to be like 80 degrees in the den and that's just too hot for me. Okay, moving on a little bit into stopping drinking coffee. So Honestly, this happened as a mistake. I feel like a lot of the really good habits that I've picked up over, honestly, since COVID started has really happened as a mistake, but this is not sponsored. I actually don't have a dual liquid IV. I do have a code if you guys want. I think it's Kinsey Elizabeth 25 and you get 25% off, but yeah, I'm not working with them. I know they do deals with podcasts and stuff, but I don't have a deal or anything. I just am so obsessed. I think Liquid IV has made the biggest difference in my life. Like, I don't think there's a product that I've used all of 2020 that I feel like has really impacted my life in the way that Liquid IV has. If you guys don't know what it is, it's basically picture like, okay, picture like a crystal light packet, but like way better for you. 
and it like is a hydration multiplier they have ones for sleep which I'm actually gonna start using my friend actually ordered some with my code and said that I need to get the sleep ones because they're life-changing I love the lime and the passion fruit and then I love the energy multiplier and lime but I just drink that in the morning and I don't need coffee it makes me drink water all the time I don't know if I'm supposed to be drinking four or five packets a day but you know sometimes that's what happens and like at least I'm drinking water you know but I have I'm back on my Hydro Flask game and I drink water with liquid IV nonstop. And I, I listen, I don't want to be that person who's like, oh my gosh, drink water, it clears your skin and like cures your depression. Like, listen, that's not me. But I just have to say that it is a really great habit that I have implemented in my life. And I definitely do feel so much better. I was not drinking enough water before and I drink so much now. And then with the energy multiplier, I drink that as well. And I've just actually weaned completely off coffee. Like, don't get me wrong. I will drink coffee as a treat every now and then, especially because it's fall. And so Starbucks has all the good drinks. Actually, La La Land, the owner texted me and was like, hey, come in today. We have a pumpkin cobra, I think, that just got released. So I'm going to go in and try that. Instagram stories, vlogs, all that you guys need to be keeping up because I've really been... um really honing in on my craft, if you will. Um, But anyways, I will drink coffee as a treat, but I don't feel like I'm dependent on it in the slightest. And obviously, if you have anxiety, caffeine is just pretty much just not good for you. And I always thought like, there's just no way I would stop drinking coffee. Like, I don't care. There's absolutely no way ever that I would ever stop drinking coffee. And honestly, there was not one part of me that was like, oh, I'm going to intentionally do this. I just started drinking a lot of water, drinking a lot of the liquid IV. And all of a sudden I don't even need it at all. It is so bizarre. So anyways, I really like my relationship with coffee now a lot better than before because I feel like before I was really reliant on it and now I will have it more as a treat or if I'm really feeling it that day like it just sounds good I will drink it but I'm not drinking it because I'm like completely dependent on it which I really really like I have been really working on managing my mood and my anxiety. I mentioned briefly, actually not briefly, I've mentioned before that I felt like I was in a really bad episode. Um, I've been talking about this so much and I feel like it's getting annoying, but this is part of just kind of what has been in my life lately and that's just like my update. Um, But I feel like I was in a really bad kind of anxious, depressive episode for honestly a while and I finally feel like I'm out of that. I feel so much better. I love the routine that I have. My therapist is amazing. I have been really, really intentional with what I've been doing, where I've been spending my time, what content I've been consuming, um, just everything, things like that, things that my night routine is a big thing. I, as we know, I'm a big routine person, but not in the way that's like wake up at 5 a.m. and like some CEO or whatever. I think that's great for them. But for me, routines are really good for kind of getting ahead of any anxiety or any um, kind of like negative thinking that might come. I actually just posted an entire anti-anxiety morning routine on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kenzie Elizabeth, if you're into that sort of thing. But I have been loving my routine. It makes me feel so amazing like I feel like I'm actually intentionally living my life and not just like waking up and then it's 10 a.m and I don't know how what I did with the last three hours and I'm like kind of all over the place this routine has been so 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 good for me I've been using certain products I've been using reading certain books like I just feel like I've really gotten that down and that's been really great um my therapist has been really incredible I'm very for therapy I think Everyone in life honestly should go to therapy. I know it's not for everyone, 
but I think at least giving it a shot, it's really, really great. I have worked really hard on creating a good atmosphere in my home too, to where I feel very cozy. I'm extremely affected by my environment. Like if things are messy or if I don't like how something looks, like I just don't like it. I'm very, I, maybe part of it is that my mom's an interior designer or I grew up with my mom being an interior designer. So like that could be one part, right? But then also I think it's anxiety as well. Like I don't like clutter. I don't like mess. I want things to look great. And you know, also granted, I have put my life on the internet since I was like 16. So it's always like backgrounds of videos and stuff. But even before then, I've just been really into kind of interior design and making sure I like the way things look. I like how they make me feel. Um, I don't know. It may sound really superficial, but it's actually like a really big thing to me. And I I spend so much time in my house. Like I've been doing online schooling pretty much half of my college career and I've been working from home for like ever. So I spend so much time here. I love entertaining. I'm already a homebody. So I just really care about that stuff. I really actually started hating the furniture in my room, which I knew that I was going to do because here's the thing. I spent more money on the furniture in my main living area. And then by the time I got to my room, I was like, okay, I literally don't have the money to go to West Elm for everything or whatever. So I ordered stuff and I was like, this will do for now. But I knew eventually I was going to replace it. But I wish that I would have just not done that because in the long run, you end up wasting money by just buying cheaper stuff that you don't like because now I'm like having to get all that moved and like go through the process of selling. It's just so annoying, right? But it'll be worth it in the end. I actually found a really, really cool dresser for a very good price. And I found two West Elm nightstands for $195 total, guys, total for my room. So West Elm does not have like I, that's just such a good deal. OK, like this is what I mean. Basic Marketplace is really, truly the way to go. I'm going for a very like minimal kind of black, brown, white kind of vibe in my room, which my whole house is pretty much black, brown and white. But I want it to be a little bit more mature as well. And I don't know. I'm just really excited. And I'm working on that currently. So pretty much everything has gotten here besides the bed. And then I'm going to be able to like, you know, get prints and I think I want to do a TV in my room again I'm not really sure I read so much that I don't really feel like I need it but it would be nice I don't know guys I've just been really perfecting my room because I also spend a lot of time in there and I want my room to be a place that I love being in and I don't feel like I've actually really ever loved any of my bedrooms since moving out so I really just want to perfect this one especially because I have an entire like balcony off of my room like there's so much that I can do with it I need to get plants like I guys I have a vision okay the last thing I wanted to share is I've been reading this brain health book called change your brain change your mind I've heard about this book for a really long time I've, I've kind of heard about Dr. Amen like briefly in other interviews and just online. I know Haley Bieber loves him. Um, he's Miley Cyrus's therapist as well, but he is incredible. I actually listened to her entire podcast episode on Joe Rogan's podcast. I've never listened to his podcast before. I don't know if I'm living under a rock or what, but Miley Cyrus got me to listen to it because I love Miley Cyrus and she was just sharing so much on brain health. And I have just been like, I feel like a whole new world has been open to me. The book is Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And so many of you guys have been reading it because I've been sharing a lot of it on Instagram stories and in vlogs and stuff. But I am like, I don't know. I just feel like I've learned so much and so much makes sense to me. I'm actually trying a healthier, like not healthier, but like a more natural supplement approach to 
as opposed to medicine right now just to see if that works better for me because I was just having some problems with my meds even though I've had great experiences in the past that's just what sucks about meds is that I feel like they're just always changing in your life but I'm trying some supplements I'm reading his books like I'm listening to so many podcast episodes and it's just been really good for me I feel like I've learned so much and I am like a lifelong learner. I love learning. It's one of my favorite things. I'm definitely like a geek. I was at kid in kindergarten who was looking forward to homework. Like what was wrong with me? But anyways, this book has been really, really helpful. It's just been such an, I wouldn't say an easy read, but it's really easy to understand. And it's also very practical in ways that they tell you like how to adjust to it. It tells you like the seven different types of anxiety and depression, like all this stuff. It gets very specific, which I really enjoy. I really want to have them on the podcast, but yeah, it's just been really incredible. I've been reading so much from it and just getting so much out of that book. And it's really kind of opened up a new like way of thinking for me. I've been very much so trying to train my brain as well, kind of outside of that book, just not getting into like negative toxic thinking or spirals or anything like that. I've, I've shared on that before, for sure. I actually just posted an entire podcast episode about toxic spiraling thinking on my Patreon, The Living Room, which is like my faith-based Patreon, if you guys are interested. But yeah, I talked about that for like an hour and it's just been such a big thing in my life. I feel like it, not in every single area, but I very easily can just kind of expect the worst and brace for the worst because a lot of the time in life, like that is what's happened to me. So I just kind of always expect the worst thing to happen. And for some reason, I don't think that, you know, I can end up getting, you know, the the better choice or the better. And for some reason, it's hard for me to picture just like happening to get the better outcome in something. So like spirals and thinking have been definitely something I've struggled with, especially during COVID. So anyways, I've just been trying to be very intentional with even like what I'm thinking, because that is so important. Um, I've talked about obviously like the toxic spiral thinking, and that's just such a big thing for me. And even if I will never express it, because I know it's not true, it still goes on in my head and it'll make me really anxious. And I've been trying to like really get on top of that and become very disciplined in my thinking as well. So that is it for my current favorites and wellness update. Again, I feel like I've just been really investing in like my space, my kind of discipline and thought um, and just kind of trying to get on top of anxiety to make sure like anxiety is not controlling me and I have control over it. But it's been a good time. I'm thriving in the fall. And yeah, I'm just really happy with kind of what I've been doing and just habits that I've been implementing in my life. If you guys are ever interested in more of those, I share more of that probably on my YouTube channel. But anyways, I'm really excited to get into the book club portion. Like I said, we read The Comeback. Um, I'm not going to share anything before I get onto the episode with Maddie. So without further ado, let's welcome Maddie on. All right, guys, just a quick break to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, Rory. So taking care of your skin is very important. We love skincare over here. We talk about it all the time. But if you experience dullness, redness, fine lines, or breakouts, finding the right treatment can be so frustrating. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare with Rory. Also, I might add, you don't have to leave the comfort of your own bed, which is even better. So Rory is a digital health clinic just for women that can help treat all of your skincare concerns from breakouts to redness. Getting started is simple. You just complete a free online consultation at hellorory.com slash I love you. And you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. If appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you with free two-day shipping. Rory is there every step of the way. You always have access to your healthcare professional for questions or to make changes to your treatment. 
There are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. So just go to Rory.com slash I love you to try out your personalized skincare treatment for just $5, guys. That is HelloRory.com slash I love you for a free consultation and $5 for your first order. HelloRory.com slash I love you to get your first order again for $5. Guys, this deal is incredible. The free consultation, $5 for your first order, and you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. Again, HelloRory.com slash I love you. I really hope you guys take advantage of this offer because it is incredible. Anyways, let's get back to the episode. We are so excited for this episode if you guys couldn't tell. Maddie, I personally feel like we were truly born to do this. You've, you, one, have already been a book club leader. I, you, I sure you have. You us. You walked so we could all run. Truly. And Kenzie, I don't know if you know this, but I am now a book influencer on TikTok. I actually was going to mention that. Oh, of course I know. I've, I've followed you since day one. So this is just the natural progression. I welcome any and all book influencer opportunities and this is my dream. I have a question, just a selfish question, really. I don't know about you guys, not you guys. I don't know about you, Maddie, <laughs> but whenever I will get followed by someone pretty cool and I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool, whatever. But an author follows me and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't talk to me. Sorry, your people can call my people. I'm way too, I'm just over the moon, you know? It is so true. Okay, so funny thing, the, the reason I went viral on TikTok was because I was reviewing this book called The Hating Game. And I was literally just like DMing Sally Thorne. This is a very well-known author who has written incredible romance novels. And I'm just DMing her about how I think her book is just super sexy and and she's just like yeah welcome thanks it's just um it is so surreal it's so surreal I had Renee Carlino on the podcast and I was asking her all the questions because I've read pretty much every single one of her books and I just don't think that she realized like how cool I thought it was that I was talking to her like I think she was kind of like oh yeah like you know whatever but I'm like no 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 you don't understand and also to this day I am tagged daily in her books like all the time people are reading them she doesn't realize it like I don't think she gets it no it's so it's so wild and also like I feel I mean both of us I feel like post a lot about books and then we have people follow us and 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 post again and be like influenced by Maddie Mayo or Kenzie Elizabeth and I was reading my friend Anna and that went like insane on Instagram because everyone started reading it and I was just DMing her and this book wasn't even fiction so it was literally about her life so I was like yo what's up with Anna Delvey like can you tell me secrets over DM like it's so crazy we're because we're inside their heads in these books and we feel like I don't know we just like don't feel like they exist and that we're talking to them I'm like you created these characters in your head it's so crazy I wish that I could just live in one of their heads for a day also I read that book because of you forever ago by forever ago I mean December but that feels like four years ago (laughs) and uh, yeah that is another book that you're just left like thinking there's some books that I read where I immediately know that I love it totally different segue but there are some books that I read that I immediately know that I love and I'm obsessed with and there's some books that I'm reading and I don't realize until about three or four days after I read the book how much I loved it because I'm still thinking about it absolutely absolutely I mean for me we both were talking about this beach read by Emily Henry oh my gosh I read in one sitting I am the slowest reader possible and I could not my my eyes were glued to this book it's just god reading is so fun like why don't why does everyone do it I'm confused I don't I really don't understand I think about it all the time because it's truly my favorite thing to do 
also on the topic of beach read, which we actually really wanted to do for this podcast, but we had both already read it and I had read it like a month or so before and already talked right. about it in vlogs. But I feel like Beach Read is such a good book and the cover and the title don't do it justice. You it's think awful. it's going to be a completely different book than it is. And I feel like that's the problem with like half of honestly literature as a whole. Like I really go off of Goodreads. One, that's my biggest thing. And then also like Lauren will text me because we have the exact same taste in literally everything. And she's like, okay, you need to read this. You need to read this. You need to read this. That's yeah. it. Like Lauren is literally the worst texter there ever has been like of all time. Absolutely. If she texts you, she'll have like seven things to say, but she's just a bad texter. So if she goes out of her way to text me to read a book, then I'm like, I'm going to read it. But I feel like that's how people are with you with your TikTok now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the thing about beach read was just like, I totally agree with you. I am a huge sucker for covers and I know that you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but sorry, guilty as charged. And the thing is, when I saw Beach Read, I was like, ugh, Beach Read, like really? Like, is this going to be some weird summer Beach Read, you know? And it's just, it, for some, I don't know why she named it that and why she decided to go with that cover art. Maybe it was like a, a commentary on itself, I guess. But it just, it's such a good book. Oh, gosh. So good. Like, literally the best book. I would really recommend reading that. But getting into this month's book, we picked out the comeback. We are very excited to get into this. Maddie texted me that she has lots of thoughts. So, as always. I think before even, as always, we were, we were talking before we even started recording. And, you know, Maddie and I, you know, I would like to say that we bring a lot to the table and the volume is just a little bit louder than most. So oh, the volume is going to be going to listen. Yeah, the volume is going to be astronomical on this one. Everyone uh, turn down the volume so that you don't get like yeah. random bursts of energy, which is usually how my podcast tends to go. We just have like a lot to say and we have rather large personalities. We're really fun girls, if you will, but we're definitely not tame nor subtle. So no. here we are. But I really would, I want to start with hearing your thoughts on the book. Like, did you love it? Did you hate it? How do you feel? What have you been thinking? I know you actually read it faster than me because you read it over the weekend, right? Yeah, I, I basically read the majority yesterday. Do we want to give a summary or do we just going to go right in? I think we should give a summary and I think we should also give a little disclaimer that there is like sexual assault in this book. So if that is something that triggers you, like I would definitely not recommend listening to the rest of this episode probably mm -hmm. and maybe going to the next. Not that that's all this book is about or what we're going to talk about, but just in case I would never want to like make anything worse or ruin someone's day or something. So that is a disclaimer. Do you want to give a little summary? Okay. So the comeback by Ella Berman. So basically what it's about is this former child actor. Her name is Grace Turner, but her real name is Grace Hyde. She was rebranded, if you will, at the age of 14. And she's basically coming to terms with this years of abuse at the hands of a director that essentially took her on as her as his muse. His name is Abel York. And we kind of see we the book starts off with her fleeing Los Angeles. She's back at home in Anaheim. She's from England, but her parents moved out to America, to Los Angeles, essentially, to further her career. And so she's back home. We don't know what happened, why she left this like glamorous life of hers. It seemed to have been going really well. And we slowly find out that she 
was sexually abused by Abel throughout the various movies that he directed for her, essentially, and wrote for her as his muse. And it tells the story of her coming, uh, her return to Los Angeles, coming to terms with all of these traumas and how she deals with it both internally, but also with relationships around her you see the like the broken marriage you see her very complicated relationship with her assistant and then she starts forming a friendship with Abel's wife and it is really nuanced and it touches on a lot of you know these lingering how trauma can linger in every facet of your life honestly this book was very necessary it's an inc- it's it's a really sad story that I think when I was reading it I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised by anything that was <laughs> unveiling, you know? I was like this is a story we hear time and time again, which is completely unfortunate. It's the misuse of power and it's the abuse of power and the landscape of Hollywood and how we have allowed as a society these men in charge to feel empowered to use their power to kind of break down these women and these young women and take advantage of them and completely alter their their I mean she was at such a formative time in her life when she's 14 and for him to do this to her and then no wonder she has has such fucked up like issues and relate you know so anyways when I was reading it I obviously got a little depressed I mean it's I mean that's the point of this book it's like you have to understand that this type of abuse happens and it is it's traumatizing in every form that was an incredible summary (laughs) I mean I could have not even touched that that was so good but I love what you said about how trauma lingers and how you see the effects of it on the relationships in her life. Mm-hmm. And it is it is so crazy. Like this is such a, almost like a relatable book, I'm sure to so many, and not in the sense of her stardom, but in the sense of abuse. And then just making it even broader, just like kind of childhood trauma and how later that affects so much in your life. Mm-hmm. And when you see her go back to L.A., well, it's funny that her fleeing L.A. is going to Anaheim. But that <laughs> yeah. also is like such a like such a like celebrity, like just funny thing to say. But she's in Anaheim for the year and she flees L.A. and no one knows where she is. She's disappeared. And she's this huge childhood star who doesn't really care about the fame. She's not on social media. She's not really keeping up with anyone. No one is really quite sure of where she goes. Mm-hmm. But you see her go home and then her parents like she doesn't have the best relationship with them and she ends up having to go back to LA and she goes back to her house in Venice with her husband ex-husband whatever you want to call him and he's obviously moved on but clearly has like never gotten over her there's a new girl in the picture they become it's such an odd odd situation she ends up then buying another house with Abel's house as a view like you can see it So she clearly was coming back. I don't know if she thought that she was going to get healing from getting revenge or if she just needed needed something to be said or if she just didn't know what she needed and she just wanted to be in the area. I don't know. I think she doesn't know who she is without him. And I think a really illuminating part of the whole book that I just, I kind of like kick myself for not really knowing is that when you're abused in this way, and I mean, thank God I've never had to experience this. So I don't know the intricacies and the nuance that happens 
when when someone abuses you this way and you see throughout the book she's she's a little obsessed with him right like she she revels in him she glorifies him she she admits that he is one of the greatest talents and again she says all the time he's very handsome but then she also hated him for this thing he did to her and i want to say she she is a little obsessed which which makes sense i mean he poured everything into her all of his resources his talents he made her who she is like of course you would have this obviously tethering to him but it was so interesting because she would say such positive things about him I'm like wait why would you ever think like positively of him he did this to you but that's the point that's the point it's very nuanced and it's it's so complicated and complex and I think when she moved to that house where she was kind of like neighbors with him and he caught on he was like what the fuck are you doing and like or again when they were in the Christmas party which we'll talk about later on but like he's like why are you in this house like why are you here why are you so obsessed with me whereas he knew what he was doing all along he knows how impressionable she is at that age and he twisted it in her mind and his mind to believe that it's what she wanted right like he would always like the apex of the abuse is when there's an incident after the last movie she does with him and he always used to make her touch him like on set but then he would he brought her into his office and essentially made her give him a blowjob and he said right before that like I'm finally gonna give you what you want and that like broke me. Like I couldn't because I kind of felt what she was going to do. Like I could feel why she did it, if that makes sense. Like I was like, okay, wow. I can see in that scenario if this powerful man who has given me every opportunity is standing there and saying like, this is what you want, right? Like I know you better. And he told her time and time again throughout her life, I know you better than you know yourself. So him validating that to her and saying I'm gonna give you what you want it's just so tricky and it's this really it's a relationship to your abuser that I I hope to never understand and that I'm so grateful I've never had to understand but there there is something that that you feel a connection towards it's very strange and twisted she was so young too when he came into her life and every movie she had done besides I believe the last one was his movie and she was never really pushed into going kind of outside of her comfort bubble. Like his movies did well and she was quote unquote his muse. So at that time when there's so much success too, she is well aware of the fact that unfortunately people will be like, he gave you everything. And the fact that people still don't believe victims or even worse will like misconstrue this thing as to where they're for some reason doing this for their own personal gain. Like she was, she was aware of how it looked on the outside as well. Not that that is right at all, but there were so many layers to it. And then she didn't have a great relationship with her parents. And he really was almost the only family that she had at that time. Cause she wasn't close with her own. And she struggled like with addiction and had a bunch of other things that she would go to. It wasn't really, she didn't really have healthy relationships outside of him, which I think so often happens when you end up having that close of a relationship with your abuser. Right. They like try to isolate you. And again, he would say all the time, probably the most said thing in the book from him was Gracie, I know you better than you know yourself. And when you're told that like constantly, I can't even imagine like, 
you you kind of a part of you like believes it even though you know it's not true right and it was just such an interesting thing I feel like this book did a really good job of kind of putting you not putting you in the victim's shoes but really giving you more like vision almost as to like how people are stuck in this and people are like why don't you speak out why don't you do this why don't you which there's so many reasons and it's absolutely so ridiculous but this book really does open your eyes as to like maybe more of what they're thinking and going through which is even worse because obviously you already are looking at abuse as this horrible horrible thing and then you see the layers especially when it's in an industry like entertainment industry and there's so much like fame and stardom and money involved. It's like a power game, you know? Yeah, exactly. And there's this feel, and I think it still persists today, that there's a glorification of the art, quote unquote, or the talent, right? And it, it kind of like excuses anything else. Like if we get the movie, if we get the perfect movie and we make a lot of money, then who cares what goes on behind the scenes? And then in turn, these young stars that are exposed to that type of behavior are labeled as ungrateful. They're labeled as irresponsible. She was labeled as bipolar, which was like out, I mean, just out of control. And it's really heartbreaking because she obviously understands the privilege that she's had, but she doesn't she she doesn't know how to tell people that this has happened to her because she knows that it could also have very negative connotations for her down the line, which I think we saw a lot with leading up to the Me Too movement is that women sometimes I mean, Me Too movement was very particular because it just happened to be a very overwhelmingly positive response to the people that the women that came out against Harvey Weinstein and and others but before it was not like that like if you came out you were patronized you were cast aside people did not take you seriously they thought you were hard to work with could be blacklisted like there was no incentive to come out and and this book was actually written um, or she started to write it right before the Me Too movement in 2017. And she says in in the epilogue, like she didn't want to include the Me Too movement because she didn't want that to be like part of the nuance, which I, I completely understand. And it kind of makes sense why she, why Grace thought that, thought like I can't say anything because it'll ruin me too. Why would I want to ruin myself as well as ruin him? Like he should only be the one that's responsible for this. But ultimately she did, she did get some sort of revenge. I don't think it was complete to what she was what she needed in her life yes I agree there was a quote I highlighted in the book Mm -hmm. um and she says they she was referring to her first movie premiere and she's walking in and everyone is shouting and going crazy and you know shouting her name and everything and at first she didn't know what they were saying and then she realizes that they're shouting for her and then she's referring back to that moment later and she says they shouted it so many times that it had morphed into something else entirely And I think that really just shows how, first off, she's so young. So it's like you're constantly learning about yourself. You're constantly getting to know yourself. You're constantly reinventing yourself. You don't necessarily know yourself at that point. And then to be put at that level of stardom, like I know people look at celebrities and and just actors and musicians and stuff, and they're like, oh, they're rich, like get over it. But I think there's a lot to be said about having that many people have a front row seat seat or what it feels like a front row seat to your life and being able to ridicule you and stuff like I don't think that 
anyone was made for that, you know, and you see Absolutely not. so many of them end up with some sort of addiction problem or crazy insecurities and things like that. And I think, I don't know, I definitely lean more towards the, that is such a hard thing to do. And I, money doesn't fix everything. Like, I think it's a great tool, but I don't think that money at the end of the day is what's going to make you happy. So I thought that quote especially was just showing like how vulnerable she was at that time. And it makes so much sense as to why she leans to the person that she feels like has given her everything and is supposed to protect her at the beginning of the book. They're meeting actually in Nobu Malibu and it's her family and her agents and all of us and Abel's there and his wife says like, oh, we'll protect her. We'll take her in all these things. And she doesn't end up doing that, obviously. Side note, do you think that later on in the book, she apologizes to her for this, but you come to find out that Amelia is kind of like maybe has actually definitely has ulterior motives. Like, do Mm -hmm. you think that she ever actually did feel bad about not protecting her? Because it seems like she was aware of the abuse. So she definitely was aware of it or at least did not want to come to terms with it, but knew deep down that this was happening. I do think she was sorry. The end where she, you know, kind of turns turns on Grace was, I think, Abel's doing. I think once Abel returned, he manipulated her into believing that Grace was mentally ill, that she was unstable, that she would not, you know, she, I think, convinced her to keep the family together and then kind of like compromised by saying, okay, I'll leave. That's fine. But like, make sure she doesn't say anything, which obviously sparked her to say something. But I like what you said about like, a commentary there's definitely this whole side of this book about about fame and about commentary on what fame is and our relationship to it as like non-famous people and it's really interesting because we feel like celebrities owe us something to a degree like there was this one quote she says it was like something out of a zombie movie everywhere I looked there would be another stranger sliding toward me sometimes shyly but more often than not brazenly hungrily as if they owned part of me I could never work out where they did or not so she never could understand if she actually owed something to people because she was this figure so like people think that they have the right to touch you or say hi to you or come up to you and ask you questions and interrupt you but we they're human beings we do not have the right to do that and I I really I really dislike when people say like oh well they signed up for this like no they no one signed up to be, again, ridiculed, to be approached in public out of the blue. Like that's just no one would no one wants that. And it's it's a real shame that that with being an artist or with being part of that world, you also have to get this intense level of of fame that is like, yeah, our psychology, our like human brains probably can't even absorb it all. And she was someone who didn't really necessarily want the fame. So you look at her not being on social media and it's like, she wasn't really playing into it. It's not something that she wanted. Also, you know, at the end of the day, being an actor is a profession just as any other job is, but it just happens to have this side to it. So it's like, yes, you go into it being aware of that, but like, Think about something that you're really passionate about and that's all you want to do with your life. And then that is a side effect. You know what I mean? Like 
if I don't think that we are owed anything and I think that they're human beings like I don't I don't know I've always definitely stayed on the side of you know like no you didn't sign up for this amount of hate or you didn't sign up for people trying to control your life or having something to say like I just think it's a really almost like immature weird like greedy unnecessarily greedy thing to say I just think it's so odd but going into the book club questions okay from today.com the comeback has female relationships at its core do you agree that grace fails all the women in her life her mom Esme Camila Ren Amelia and Laurel at various points in the book and in what ways does she redeem herself what do others see in grace I think her relationship with her sister is really complex and really interesting but her and Laurel that's the part that I just think is so wild when she finds out that like I think this shows like almost what kind of a trance she was in also I know this was when she was heavenly doing drugs but Laurel is someone who's probably closest to her and kind of always has her back is they definitely have a weird relationship Laurel's kind of weird whatever but Laurel has had a girlfriend for two years that Grace has met and Grace doesn't even one doesn't realize she's dating anyone doesn't realize that she's gay and doesn't realize that she's met her girlfriend. Like that to me is insane. And that's why I think, you know, we're rooting for Grace so much. And then we see that, yes, there is this side that she has flaws and that she obviously was look like she's not selfish in this, in this world, but like there were people willing around her to help her and support her. She just sometimes I think didn't choose to see it that way. I mean, her family was always there and she kind of brushed them off because she was either embarrassed of them or that she like just, they didn't get it. And so she kind of left them, but they were always going to support her. I mean, they moved across. So it's just, it's weird because you see this two side, you're like, oh my God, we feel so bad for Grace. We like, of course, like we want to support her. But then there's things that she does where it's like, wow, you fucked this up for yourself. There are people around you that can help you, that you that you just like won't let them. I think her kind of dysfunctional relationship with Esme is actually due to Abel because I think it's actually a, a direct result of her relationship with her parents. And then also it's like your sister... At times, I feel like both sisters feel like they were either given too much attention or not enough. And then I think her relationship with her parents on top of that, I can only imagine as you're getting older, like the book doesn't really talk about this that much, but I just know in cases of abuse, you're typically kind of isolated and made to seem like everyone else is crazy or against you. And that person is the one for you. And Abel goes time and time again, I know you better than you know yourself. So I feel like that drives her further away from her parents. And then also as siblings, when you see, when you already have a kind of dysfunctional relationship with your sister, and then you see how she's treating your parents and all these things, I think that that actually really affected her relationship with her sister in a way that maybe she wouldn't have like said directly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. The ending to me a little bit felt like why wh- or why do you think that like Esme needed to run away and then Grace had to find her or almost killing herself like it. But it it felt it felt a little parallel to the moment that Esme found Grace lying there in the ocean and thinking that she killed herself. But it was just I guess it was to mirror that moment. But 
I don't know. I just thought that was like dragging on. I was like, all right, let's get back to, I want to know what happened with Abel after the car crash. But like, I agree with that. I don't know. I was a little confused by that. And like the whole, honestly, I thought the like, yes, it is very important. The whole premise of her generation being obsessed with social media and then all of them like being in their phones. She's like, I want to create a documentary about this, my generation and social media and how it's ruining our lives and what yada yada. Like, yes, that's very, obviously very important, but like, I didn't really understand how it connected with the rest of the story. Like she just needed some sort of purpose and like hobby. I I don't know. I was a little confused by that. Like, yes, that's true, but but what, why does it matter in relation to Grace? Because she didn't have social media? Because she wasn't part of a generation or like didn't have that connection? I agree with that. Yeah. I think it did feel almost a little bit rushed in a weird way. Like I didn't, I really didn't see that coming. I honestly had forgotten about the party that she was going to and all of that. Yeah. In a way, it. I actually felt like kind of I was more in Grace's head where clearly she wasn't always thinking about other people. And so it had, there had been four days after that where I didn't even think about Grace during that time when she was going to this party that was going to be a really big thing. And she was going to, you know, try to get this boy on camera and kind of get back at him for what he did to her and all this stuff. And so in a way, I think it, it kind of made me even not understand Grace more, but like more in Grace's head because you're like, oh, I actually wasn't even thinking about her. And the only thing I can think about when she's like in the ocean and she's like trying to kill herself, we assume, is one, her reasoning is is such a unfortunate thing that's happening today. But also I feel like it, it almost shows like your siblings kind of follow after you a lot of the time. So I look at it that way and I'm like, okay, there's so many parallels and regardless of if you have a great healthy relationship with your sister or very like estranged, like, you know, at the end of the day, I think she always really wanted Grace's approval and I think she always really wanted the love from Grace, but I don't think, and I think that Grace wanted that with her too, but didn't know how to maybe communicate that. Yeah, I mean, Grace obviously had some sort of influence over her. She looked down on what or belittled what Grace did as a profession in her life and obviously was not really mocking it. She was maybe envious of it or maybe wanted to be a part of it, but she didn't really know how because they just didn't grow up together. So her coming to Los Angeles into the Malibu home to hang out was like kind of her way of like, I think, catching up on on the times that they lost. The next two questions are actually about their relationship too. So it says, at one point, Grace says of Esme, I understand that I'm letting her down and that I have a chance to fix something in her that is already broken in me. Do you think Grace succeeds in this? In what ways do Grace and Esme differ? So I feel like we've already explained how they differed. Okay, I don't know at the end of the book if it leaves you with a fully fixed grace, but I do think I do think that you know what? Maybe maybe this is it. So you see Grace handle the situation in a way that probably wasn't the absolute smartest. Like she ends up driving off of a cliff, like she's hurting herself in this. Like, you know, it's not not to like belittle how she handles it or how anyone handles it. But I think that she sees then when she sees her little sister do something that she feels is dumb. I think she now understands how I think she sees that in her little sister and is like, oh, my gosh, like not necessarily feeling guilt, but maybe 
thinking that like my actions you know, have consequences yeah like uh, yeah. like I need to be responsible for things that I do as well because it's it is having impact on others where I don't think before she thought anything she did had an impact on other people what do you think motivated Amelia to spend so much time with Grace do you believe that her affection was genuine I think Amelia the whole time was manipulating I don't think that she knew she was doing it though because you look at it and it's like it's clear that she always had her assumptions right and she sees her vulnerable and I think it's a mix of guilt for not being there and maybe not protecting her when she knew something was going on but also wanting the answers for herself and realizing this is probably the only way she's gonna get it so even though at times I think maybe her intentions really were pure I think that unfortunately at the end of the day I do think that she knew more than she was letting on or she assumed more and knew she was probably right and so that ended up in her kind of trying almost to like do the research for herself yeah that makes sense I I agree with that I do think a little bit some of it must have been genuine because I don't know I, I really loved her her attitude and her spirit and just kind of like the the brushing off of Los Angeles as a whole and the type of, you know, culture that that persists and that she's been kind of thrown into. I liked the like banter she had with Grace about how how dumb it can be sometimes and like how in people how everyone's like in their heads and stuff. But oh, I did want to talk about specifically like Los Angeles as a character in this book, which I think it's definitely like an ode to this city because although it paints it in a very negative light and a very like all consuming and dream crushing kind of like soul crushing type of way, I think there is this element of beauty about Los Angeles that is like given in this. And also like Ella, the author, she made a Spotify playlist that is like, so perfectly this book it's out of control it has like Haim Frank Ocean King Princess it's like it really encompasses the type of LA that she was trying to kind of show which and this dichotomy that there's like this surface levelness but then there's also like art and intention and beauty within the city and like there's just one quote that that says Dylan used to try to explain how much energy he found in the twinkly lights of the valleys and the pastel houses sprouting up in the hills, how much beauty he saw in even the darkest corners of Hollywood and the dusty Topanga Canyon trails concealing rattlesnakes and mountain lions. Like to me, that is the LA I love. Like the parts that aren't covered in the media, that aren't covered on television or in movies. And I talk about this a lot on OKSIS because I find myself having to be like the LA advocate because Scout hates Los Angeles. (laughs) So it's like I typically have to be defending this city because I love it so much. And I think it's because I see a part of it that a lot of of people outside don't see. And – she captures a little she captures the good and the bad i mean it's it, the the references are so real i mean she says like glossier to abbot kinney and butcher's daughter and then like Busso and frank's like it's just incredible the type of and like silver lake and the type of breadth she kind of captures but i don't know i i 
I like this representation of of Los Angeles because it's real. I mean, that part of L.A. does exist, the film industry and Hollywood and and this like very, again, like surface level part to it. But there's also there's also such diversity and there's such grace to grace I mean no pun intended but like just I don't know I always feel like I have to defend the beauty of Los Angeles and I'm happy that she at least paid some homage to how pretty that the city can be I too love LA and I agree with everything you just said (laughs) I think it's so interesting how Los Angeles really is a character in this book And then I think about how there's so many different realms of L.A. and there's so many different characters L.A. could play. She does such a great job of capturing modern day L.A. Like you said, like Mm -hmm. Blossom, Abbott, Kenny, like all of that stuff. Like you, especially someone like you live there currently. I've lived there for like five years. It is it was very spot on. She did a good job of not making the reader necessarily hate L.A. It was just more so this specific industry and the power struggle and the abuse that's happening there. But obviously with, you know, it's, it's like this weird relationship with LA too, that I almost feel like it is like, you know, the relationships when people are explaining and typically this is like with your bad ex-boyfriend that you keep going back to, but it's like (laughs) when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel like it's portrayed in the book but not necessarily as it's like your ex that you keep going back to just understanding that it isn't all bad like I think she did a really good job with explaining Los Angeles in the book yeah especially as people who like you live there so it's like you would agree with this you know yes absolutely the next question is shame is a recurring theme in Grace's journey and she often questions her own complicity in her abuse why do you think she does this? I actually think that we've already answered this. Yeah. You can, if you have anything to say. No, I, th- I think we answered this. I mean, again, like the own complicity in her abuse. I mean, yeah, it is very puzzling. I think if you've never been in that situation, you can never imagine how someone can be complicit in it. And again, we kind of touched on this. Like if you're ignorant like us, you, you say like, well, why can't you just push him off? Why couldn't you just say no? Like we have those thoughts. It's so ignorant. and there's so much layers to it. It's just, it's You're almost paralyzed too. Yeah. So that was, that's a, I mean, yeah, there's shame and then it's just, it spirals and it like eats at your, your entire psyche. It feels like for her. The next question is what did you think about the author's decision not to reveal the line? And then what yes. is the line for you? Oh my God. I thought about this all the time. I was like, wait, did I miss it? Like, did she just not say the same. line? Literally same. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. So I mean, I thought it was, I, I was like waiting for it. And I was like, oh, it's gonna be something like so dumb, but I'm actually, I really did like that choice to not even say it because it didn't matter. It, sweet. it didn't matter. Like yeah. it didn't, that's not what that the whole point is that she never wanted to be defined by that. She never wanted she she hated the, that people kept coming up to her and saying it. So it would have actually been weird if she said it ultimately because she would have been giving in to that type of culture. But yeah, it was early. I was like, wait, we didn't, we didn't even hear the line. But I guess it doesn't matter. It wasn't until the end when I realized that she purposely didn't share it. Because I was waiting for it and then she didn't. So I was like, okay, she for sure hasn't said this the whole book and I didn't miss it. I think it was kind of sweet that she never did. And I also think it's symbolic of the fact that like Grace doesn't care. Like it's not, 
I don't know. She, it, I think it's actually really symbolic of the fact that she's not feeding into her celebrity and she's not feeding into her like fandom or fame or whatever it is because it's like, you know, she could be doing that. But I don't know. I, I think it shows that she's very reserved and also thinks it's kind of weird that these people are coming up to her. Like she's almost really naive to the fact that she is as famous as she is. Absolutely. And they talk about it. Like it yeah. seems like she's one of the, I mean, they talk about it later saying she was about to be a household name. And then she didn't do another movie and whatever. But it really does feel like she's a household name at that point. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to find like a, a similar current celebrity that could be modeled after this where Shailene, like Woodley, Shailene Woodley or someone. I'm trying to yeah. think of someone on the phone. I was going to say like Dakota Johnson. I don't know. Someone when they were describing the type of celebrity where she's like so aloof that she's not on social media but then like she's like the cool girl so the paparazzi they would only like do one paparazzi shot and then leave her alone I was like wow like that is a very and someone that was like taken very seriously but also still extremely successful and famous like I, I don't know I was like trying to think of a a person like that but I guess yeah like Shane Lee Woodley is a good good parallel it's really interesting okay the last book club question says, look, you may not know this yet, but this is a quote from the book. So look, you may not know this yet, but there are some bad people in the world and some of them get exactly what they deserve. Others just don't. So the question is, do you think Grace's opinion on this has changed by the end of the book? What do you think finally compels her to stand up to Abel? Just to summarize, she essentially ends up driving Abel off a cliff with her in the car and it's like a miracle that they both survived it's this whole deal and then and then the whole Esme thing happens with her sister maybe that's what needed to happen again we kind of asked like why did that need to happen maybe that did need to happen for her to finally get the confidence and understand that she has people looking up to her. She needs to stand up for herself. She needs to be brave in this way. So essentially she goes to this award show, which like I could not believe, like this would have been, um, I would have loved if this had happened in real life. Like I would have died. Oh my God. She essentially walks on stage Kanye West style and takes the mic while he's about to like, yeah, Kanye West style. <laughs> like he's about to receive this like lifetime achievement award. And she was like, you're an abuser. And uh, like, I have, I have endured it for too long and you have labeled me as mentally ill for taking my life, taking my childhood and saying it in front of literally all of his colleagues, every important person in the industry and in the world. And that was, a, I mean, incredibly brave thing to do. I think she was ultimately numb at the end of the movie. I think she was just numb. She didn't care about the ramifications. I think before she did, she was like, oh, if I do this, I'll never work again. Whereas I think she was like, you know what? I, I don't care to to do this anymore so she thought that maybe this was more important than a semblance of career that she could have had after this and also she she wouldn't have been able to have a career with him still abusing others and him not even being in her life she wouldn't have been able to do it at the end of the book too amelia comes to grace and says hey like almost kind of tries to come off as like the big sister like hey i'm doing this and i'm helping you you know that you're case would never even reach court and Abel's fully prepared to like press charges and stuff on the accident. And, you know, we're going to move and he's out of the industry and all these things. And 
I think at the end of the day, like it's hard for me to say that Grace's opinion would have changed on this by the end of the day, because what does it even mean? Like for someone like, oh, you get what you deserve when like it doesn't take back what happened to her. So I think it's really hard to be able to say like, oh, like I think we're all fighting for justice right now in so many, so many realms in which justice need to be served. But we also have to keep in mind that the victims I think it's really hard to say that they got their justice because they still have to live with that being like a reality of something that's happened to them in their lives. So I think it's hard to say like, oh, he got what he deserved. And I don't necessarily think that she her opinion would have changed by the end of the book. But I do think that what matters to her would have changed by the end of the book. And I do think that there I would hope for her that there's like a newfound confidence in that she's realizing that she's not going to get what she feels she needs or what she's kind of reaching for by trying to continue to ruin this man's life almost. Like, I feel like she, you see like her relationship with her family kind of coming back together and in her relationship with Dylan coming back together. And she, a year later was at, I believe her birthday dinner, like was so much happier. And I think that at the end of the day, I don't think it necessarily... I think this this did start as a story and mainly the entire book was a story of her almost trying to get revenge for lack of a better word like trying to get justice and trying to kind of get what she felt she deserved and at the end of the day I don't think that was necessarily like what she was looking for anymore but I do think that the trauma that was affecting all the relationships in her life, I think clearly there was healing from that because then you go on to see her relationships getting healthier. So maybe she would think that, but I I think it's just hard to say like, oh, they got what they deserved when like the victim is still, regardless, like their reality didn't change. Yeah, exactly. Also, I just like, I stand Dylan. I love him. Like I I was so mad at him, but I heard mad at her, but I also understood why she kind of like was really aloof with him. But I, oh my God, I just, he just seems like the perfect man. I don't know what about it. He's so cute. And I don't even know what he looks like. I don't think that Dylan had this like unhealthy, like hero complex, but that was a lot of commentary I was reading online. Like I think that he just loved her and was trying to be there. And then she just continued to block him out. But what I did think was interesting. Okay, there was a quote that I wrote down. I just don't think she had the capacity to accept the love that he was giving her. She was too consumed. Do you think that he had any idea about the abuse though? Because she says something that was a quote from the book. He wanted me to save him from the burden of knowing the truth because the morning that she, before she leaves him, she was trying to tell him what happened, but you find out later in the book that he had actually cheated on her the night before, which kind of like shakes your view of Dylan being this angel, even though like, I still stand firm on Dylan being an angel. This relationship was just so messy. He he didn't want to hear it. But then you hear later on that he just assumed that she knew about him cheating. I don't know if he assumed she knew about the cheating. I think it was like when she was trying to tell him about the abuse, he one didn't want to hear it because he was just like, maybe he thought that's what would help her. If he was just like, look, you don't like, let's not talk about this. Like trying to, I think he might've thought he was doing the right thing, but by telling her, look, you don't need to talk about this. But I think he was also really consumed with what he had done the night before. So he was just like, I don't think he was in the right headspace. I don't think he was really comprehending everything that was happening that night. It was obviously a huge miscommunication um, on, on both of their parts. And she took it as like, 
oh, you won't let me like the one person I finally felt comfortable with telling this huge weight on my shoulders and you're literally blocking me away and telling me that this, you know, that I shouldn't have to talk about this. I can see why she would get like very, very angry at him and leave. Oh, 100%. You know who I also really respect in this book is Ren. So Ren is Dylan's queen. It was so crazy. Ren is Dylan's new girlfriend, right? So Grace goes back. She moves back into their Venice place where Ren is living, right? So imagine living with your boyfriend and then his ex-wife comes to live at her house, which is the same house you're all living in. And she is nothing but nice. She reaches out. She tries to help her. They go out one night, which by the way, I picture them at tenants of the trees. Like, I don't know why I picture them at tenants, but I like picture his car driving up and it's right by that Trader Joe's. Like that's what I had pictured in my mind. (laughs) But I just thought it was so interesting. And then she finally, she finally leaves him and says like, I think you need to have a conversation with her because Ren loves him enough to know that he loves Grace, you know? And she doesn't like seem bitter or resent. Like I really liked her. Well, she said that one line where she was like, I know he's still in love with you. I'm just trying to figure out if it bothers me enough. And I was like, oh, oh my God, like that is so sad and heartbreaking. But it's like some some people just like there's and then again, she was like, or maybe I'm just a nice person. And I thought you needed a friend. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's that too. <laughs> she had like no friends. I mean, people just again, it goes back to like, There are people that were willing to support and help her, but she refused to see them. And like she said to Ren, she's like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you? We don't need to be friends. Like, she's like, because you fucking need a friend. Like, sorry for being nice to you. And like, she just wouldn't accept it. I just wonder, I know I've said a lot of this has to come from the abuse and like the isolation and feeling like only Abel gets her and stuff. But I wonder how much of that comes from able or it comes from maybe just her stardom or some sense of pride that she has because she made it so young and she like has this weird like I don't care about my parents kind of thing like I don't know also the fact that she stays at home for a year and her parents still don't know and it's like so bizarre like you have to I really knew nothing about the book before reading it. And unfortunately, as soon as I read it, I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen. Not in the way that it was predictable in writing, but just in the way of what society is today. And it's just crazy that that was where their relationship was at, that for a year they didn't speak about it. And she just stayed at home. I just think that their relationship was so broken with her and her family and her parents. It was, it wasn't going to just take a year for them to get back and for her to feel at, at least a little bit comfortable with explaining what had happened. Obviously, there was a huge betrayal on both ends. I think they both betrayed one another. And it really shows in that year when they literally didn't talk about one thing except the Kardashians. It just like was, it was bizarre. And I felt so sad for her parents who just like moved to pursue her dreams and didn't make any friends when they moved to Anaheim. Oh my God, wait, can we talk about the like weird, I don't know why this was in the book, but like how Grace kept going to Disneyland every day every week to to go to the buffet and it and then like I was like what I forgot about that part that was such a small like yeah no that's definitely I was like you would never go crazy and they like would talk to her and apparently so that yeah that was I was like you would never go to do it 
No, no way. And the way that Anaheim was portrayed in this book just is like, I don't know why it's so funny to me, but it just <laughs> is so funny to me. Like, they really just, I don't know. I just, it's hilarious. Also, does that place in Malibu exist? I don't know why I didn't look it up. Coyote Sumac? I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to look but like I'll, such also, an idiot I don't know if, if I don't. Because it has coyote in the name, so I'm assuming that it exists. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of coyote things in LA, you know? I'm like, yeah, no, it for sure exists. For sure exists. I'm actually going to look it up. Okay, do you have any final thoughts? I do have one note that I will end on so we can leave on a brighter note because yes, I know I was this, gonna say. Note, or this book was a little bit heavier. Um, but do you have any other notes that you haven't shared? Obviously a very difficult read in the sense of the topics and the actual plot of the story. But... I thought as a first novel for Ella Berman, I thought it was tremendous. Her writing is so elaborative and you really felt, you felt this intense empathy for Grace and for what she was going through. And and although it was really tricky emotionally to read it, I want to say like as a novel and as an actual book and the prose and the actual setup and structure, it was, I think, truly incredible. And I really I, I want to say brava to the to Ella for this being her first novel. It's just like it's wild. And she's obviously very passionate about this. I think she experienced some sort of sexual or at least witnessed it in her previous job. She worked in like the music industry and she obviously felt compelled enough and was, was uh, affected by this, by this issue. And I want to say if anyone, if anyone is experiencing this or has experienced this, maybe Kenzie, we can put like in the show notes, some um, a resource to a hotline yeah. or someone to reach out to because this trauma should not be, endured and experience and having to be experienced alone like this needs to be something that is that is uh worked through with the professional for sure but overall the book was was really really I, I would recommend it I would recommend it with with like a with a caveat I'd be like here's a great book but like be in the right headspace to read it yes I think she did such an amazing job. She's such a talented writer. I think she did such a good job of painting a picture and really, I mean, like if you would have had an ignorant answer before, I feel like this book would have really opened up your eyes to understanding the layers that oftentimes come with abuse, especially abuse from people in power, men in power specifically. And I think she did such a good job of painting a picture while also making the book, I mean, it definitely is a heavy read, but it was still, it was an incredible book. I really, really did enjoy it. I think she did a great job and I'm excited for her future books. I didn't realize that this was her first novel. That's actually crazy. Yeah. Wow. Talk about like really committing to like coming in with a bang. Yeah, that sure is, that's tough. Okay. So the last thing I did want to leave on that I felt like was if you guys are just going on with your day, we're leaving on a brighter note. Okay. okay. I thought this palette, quote was really a little funny palette because, cleansing. Yes. I felt like this quote was really funny because it really truly does embody about not, I don't even want to say like 95% of Los Angeles, <laughs> but like so many people. Okay. Oh gosh. I'm assuming that this is, I believe this is Grace talking about Laurel. She's, I can't even say this. I don't know why I think this is so funny, but she's selective with her energy, but she'll watch hours of the Kardashians each day. Me. That's me. Me. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, wait a second. I think you're onto something there. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, that's me. That's me. 
it was oh my gosh she's just so funny but i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i'll have the book in the show notes below also we'll have some like hotlines and stuff check out maddie's tiktok she is a book influencer seriously these are popping off i mean the most entertaining book tiktoks you'll ever see <laughs> but also if you're looking for other content please go follow okay sis i feel like that's probably the more primary over her book tiktok yeah but i'll already have that on the show notes. okay and i also feel like we have the exact same listeners because of i like we also do this thing where we get the same guests at the same time genuinely not from each other's podcast though and then we have the same guest and people are like Hey, okay, sis already had them on, so like I didn't want to listen to this. And oh I'm like, gosh, oh my gosh. Stop. Okay, like we really have to like I'm like, oh my gosh. So we'll share our schedules. We'll share our schedules for with one another so we can't uh overlap. It is so true. It's so wild. Okay, well, I love you so much. Thank you I for coming you on. So um much. if you would like to do this at another time, uh I will be hitting you up. Anytime. You know that I want to be a big influencer. So this is like my route. This is my way. It truly is all that we I really would give it I would give it all up. Give it all just to be a book influencer. (laughs) I would give it all up. That's what I would do. I found what I'm passionate about. But anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Love you guys so much. Check out Okay Sis. Check out Maddie's TikTok. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. Okay, we're announcing the October Book Club read on the ILYSM podcast Instagram. So go follow over there so you guys know what we're reading for the next month. Hope you guys enjoyed. I love you guys so much. And I'll talk to you soon.